to show you a picture real quickly of a garden and a couple of people in it. And uh, I want to know if anybody recognizes this scene. We can put that up there. Uh, a garden with a couple of people. Anybody, anybody know what that is? Anybody guess? Did anybody guess the Garden of Eden? Okay. Now, there's a, I don't know if that's exactly what it looked like, but I have um, CIA agents who have gone back in time to take a snapshot, and that's what they brought back. So I don't know if they can be trusted or not. But the whole thing about, the, about that experience actually was not trustworthy to begin with. It was all, well, it started out good, but then it ended up kind of sketchy. You know, the, the nice thing I like about the graphic is how vivid it, it is. I mean, how many of you are excited about flowers coming up out of the ground, about green things just emerging, about life and all of its radiance happening? But here's the problem. Something broke down between that snapshot and the snapshot that I'm looking at right now. You see all these flowers up here? They're beautiful, aren't they? And there was a time when I, when I think people could look at those flowers and not need something like this. You know what that is? Uh, is Zyrtec and um, Nasacort. And if that doesn't work, um, got some, some, uh, like some Tylenol cold capsules. Why do I need all that stuff? For some reason, that picture there became a, really a, it degraded into what we experience here, uh, and that is uh, runny noses, allergies. We can't enjoy things like we were designed to, and that that really is the problem. But I want to I want to hopefully just take us back to that garden for a second. And uh, look at the conversation that happened between those two people. Does, can anybody tell me who they think the, the female is in the equation? Okay, very good. And how about the green guy? He's the serpent, uh, otherwise known as Satan. And he's standing upright. He looks, well, rather reptilian. And maybe that's for a reason, I'm not sure. But if you look at that scene, originally when God allowed that scene to happen and he put two human beings in the garden, he said, I want you to take care of this and I want you to learn and grow in this experience. But there was a guy who was partly in charge of this whole thing getting off the ground and, and he, um, he, he was known as Lucifer. And the design was that he would be, play a role in just kind of guiding these people who were in a lot of ways like children. They didn't have an awareness of so many things. I mean, if you're a parent in here and you have little kids or you've had little kids, how many of you remember putting child locks on your cabinets? How many of you remember putting those little inserts inside the plug-ins? And I don't know what else you did, but there was something about their lack of awareness and your fear that something bad would happen that caused you to do that, right? All right. Now there comes a point when you're just praying that they will understand that that day is going to change and you don't have to have those locks and those gizmos and gadgets keeping everything barred so that it's a big inconvenience. And I know when that day came, it was, it was wonderful because you didn't have to fight it anymore. Kids stopped putting forks inside of light sockets, uh, you know, plug-ins, you know, they wouldn't lick them anymore. Um, and stuff in the cabinet, you know, you wouldn't find them playing with that. And it would say, you know, hazardous and call the poison control center and 15 minutes of washing your eyeballs out in water. All that stuff. There seems to be a breakdown sometimes, isn't there, between what we understand... 
and what we're capable of managing. And in the conversation that these two had, God had set up an expectation and he said, you know what? This garden is for you people. Just enjoy it. But the one thing you don't want to do is do what? You remember? Eat of the forbidden fruit. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't do that. You're not ready. And so they're like, okay. But this guy said, oh, I think you're ready. I think you should do it. It's kind of like that uncle that comes over and says to the, to the 10-year-old, why don't you go out and start the car up and back it out into the driveway and see what happens? There's sort of like a mischievous side to the whole equation. But this is a little bit darker. It's, it's a guy who says, I'm not liking how this is going because I'm pretty great in my whole reptilian array. And these guys, they're stupid. And you're wanting me, God, to help these guys along? So he hatched a plan to take the whole thing over for himself. And so here's how he did it. He asked a question to this lady. See that fruit up there? Doesn't it look delicioso? And she's like, I don't know what that means, but you're right. It looks pretty good. And he said, why don't you go ahead and eat it? But she said, ah, I'm not supposed to because I'm not ready. And God said, don't do it. Yet, she went ahead and ate it anyway. And what does the scripture say? Her eyes were opened and she began to see. And she saw a lot of stuff because he wanted her to see a lot of stuff. Even though she wasn't capable of handling it. And today, what is today by the way? Easter. Good answer. What else is it? April 1st. Good answer. And what else is it thirdly? What? Whose birthday? Zayden's birthday. Zayden, happy birthday. All right. And, of course, I think I heard April Fool's Day in there. Some people would even go as far to say people that gather like this are Easter fools. But I would say, I would take issue that and say, no, I disagree. Because when I look at this day and I know that it's, Resurrection Sunday, and I know it's also April Fool's Day, I'm thinking of two different people. I'm thinking of Jesus coming out of the tomb, and I'm thinking of all the shenanigans that Lucifer had set up. And maybe if you went to church with him in charge, you would learn something like these, these tactics. Here's sort of how he works. This is just beginner level stuff. I want to show you a series of slides. And, um, and, and they look like this. He might teach you that. How to put a boat horn underneath a seat. And maybe you're like, guess what I learned in church today? All right, so I'm just saying everything that I say in the next two minutes, you're supposed to forget. But if he were doing church, he would say, let's do that. And then here's something else we should do. Let's do that. Let's take some onions. And we'll make them look like apples. And we'll color them red. And we'll say, why don't you eat them? They're good for you. Pretty dark, isn't it? It gets worse. Okay, here's what else we see happening. That. You know what that is? That is, that is what you call how to learn to not slam the door open in one easy lesson. Because when you do that, you're like, I'll never do that again. Here's another Fun fact, 
take a can of air freshener, peel the label off of it, and then put shrimp spray inside the label and then give it to your friend as a deodorizer for their car. See what happens. See if it brings this, the wonderful aromas of the, of the ocean and the beach and of the fisheries. Okay, here's another one. Just so you know. If you want people to see you, don't just use Facebook. Don't use Twitter. Don't just use Instagram. Matter of fact, just paste your picture on the inside of the printer at work. And then every time people make copies, they'll see you. Isn't that awesome? Feed your inner narcissist. Okay, maybe there's one more in here. Let's see if I can throw that at you. Oh, yeah. The old snake in the garden trick. That's a classic perennial one. So, find yourself a fake snake. Go to Walmart. And I think you know what to do. Now, really, honestly, you come to church and you expect better, don't you? But that's, that's really about as, about as good as it gets with, oh, he's got one more, always one more trick up the sleeve. The old cut out the insect from black paper and paste it on the inside of the lampshade trick. That one, that'll get them. If snakes don't bother them, bugs will. And there's something twisted about the torment that is Im embedded in these pieces of information. And the reason why we have those pieces of information is because we have an internet, okay? And the internet has a wonderful way of telling us anything we want to know on demand. Matter of fact, more than we'd ever want to know. And here's kind of the problem, actually, that people are running into. It's too much information. And all of a sudden, they're finding that we're not really made to handle that much information. It's, it's too overwhelming. Any, anybody ever feel overwhelmed about information? I mean, we're constantly learning. We're constantly calling. Supposed to be upgrading. We got our phones with us. We have a workplace that has managers that are learning new things on the, inf on, on the internet. And then they're telling their employees, you guys need to do this. And they're writing a policy only to maybe rewrite it and say, oh, you need to do this. And if you're a teacher, maybe it's new standards and new this and new that. And do you ever feel like it's just never going to end? That the expectations of what all that information does for us... It doesn't make life better. It actually makes it more frustrating. It makes it like, I, I think all these ideas sound great, but God has not designed me with the capacity to know all this stuff, let alone manage it, let alone readapt to what the new stuff that comes after that stuff is supposed to do. Anybody ever feel fatigue from just the sheer overwhelming nature of all the information? If you don't, I can, I can tell you that there, there are people who don't really have words to describe why I feel so overwhelmed with all this information, why I feel so anxious when I go to work, why I can't stop stimulating my brain with digital data. And they're like, I don't quite know how to give language to that, but one thing I do know, I can't do it anymore. So you know, you know the greatest 
destination, the most popular destination for people to move away from wherever they're moving away from to? One, one guess. Anybody? Idaho. Idaho. Now, how many of you have had a longing to go to Idaho? Be honest. Okay, there's a few of you up there. All right, maybe you're on board with it. Do you know why people want to, you know why people don't go to Idaho except to maybe buy potatoes? They don't go there because it's just wilderness. But that's the whole point. They just want to get away from it because there's something inside of them that says, I don't have the capacity to keep up with all the stuff that's being demanded of me. You know, Satan had told the lady in the garden, if you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you won't be so dumb, you won't be so foolish, you won't be so stupid, and you'll know everything. But here's the problem about knowing everything. God did not make us so that we, we, we should know everything. Should, should, should adolescents learn about pornography? Should teenagers learn the merits of getting drunk and hopping behind the wheel? Should 20-somethings find out the fascination of going to the, 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 the race park and putting their, putting their bets on horses? There are so many things that God says, I know it's information. I know it's out there. But not all information is good for you. Matter of fact, the information that you need to know for life is best found in me. And there's a lot of people, like Adam and Eve, myself included, who felt for a long time, I don't really need God. I don't need the Bible. I don't need that information. I just need to know what I need to know in order to have a good life. And sure, maybe I'll step outside the boundary and I'll do some of those things. But what harm is there about learning about those things that people say are bad for me? Well, there was a meal, and some eyes were opened. And then, you know what happened? That knowledge was weaponized. You know what that means? The children of these two wonderful people in the garden, one ended up killing the other one. And then after that, because of their eyes being opened, they learned technology. Technology good enough to learn to kill other people in masses. And it just went downhill from there. And we live in a moment in time where a lot of people are saying, and they're rethinking, is there a better way? When is, when is, when is enough enough? When is too much too much? Well, if you're like me and you're asking that question, as, as it relates to, to, to my life and hopefully to yours, how is it, God, that in all of this wonderful knowledge that we have, how is it, God, with all of this technology, how is it, God, that we have wonderful scientific breakthroughs? How is it, God, that I wake up every day and I am frustrated? I wake up every day and I'm anxious. I wake up every day and I worry. I wake up every day and I wonder if I can keep up. 
I wake up every day and I wonder if the relationship isn't going the way it needs to be going and what can be done about it. I wake up every day and I'm just burdened with things that, quite honestly, make me feel more, more like, a, like, like a slave to whatever those things are than a person that's been set free by their capabilities. And God says, you know, I didn't make you so that you should shoulder this burden. I made you for something better. But if you're also like me, you don't always see it. That leads me to the story that I want to share. I'm just going to paraphrase what we find in Luke chapter 24. You see, Jesus had gone through everything that we just celebrated in singing. But not everybody was aware that there was a celebration in the first place. Matter of fact, what do you do when the person that you respect, the person that you've devoted your life to following, what do you do when he is arrested? And what do you do when he goes through a trial and is found guilty? You start to second guess yourself. And then what do you do whenever he's put on a cross and he's executed? Then you're like, oh, game over. Every hope that you had, that the world was going to get better because of what he promised, is turned back into darkness and despair. And in Luke chapter 24, there are two guys who are leaving that scene because every hope and expectation that they had in this person, Jesus, just turned to nothing. And not only did it changed their view of things back from technicolor to black and white. But they were starting to be afraid because the Roman government was saying, any followers of Jesus, we're going to do the same to them as well. So these guys decided it was time to leave town. As they're leaving town, they're discussing everything that happened. They're sort of decompressing. Um, my wife's a teacher, and when she gets done teaching, she'll call me and decompress. On Sundays, sometimes I'll decompress. It's a way of just getting my thoughts clear and trying to sort out everything that I've just encountered. And these guys were trying to sort it out. And as they're walking, a person shows up. And he says, what's wrong with you guys? And they're like, obviously, you're not tuning in to what just happened. Everybody knows. Jesus, who did Pretty incredible stuff for three years. Took on the religious establishment. Finally was found guilty of trying to undermine the Roman government. Now he's dead. And Jesus is like, well tell me about what's going on inside your head. Because that's what Jesus does. He starts out not by really preaching to us. But he just starts asking you and I. What's going on in your world? How's it going? And I think whenever we start processing that, we wonder, is there an answer here? Is there an answer to the problem that I brought into this worship gathering today? The one that I, I kind of left outside? Is there an answer to the fear that I've been shouldering for, for weeks on end? Is there an answer to the uncertainty I have about my job situation? Is there an answer that I have about where my life is going with my family? Is there an answer anywhere? And I don't think it's until you start asking the question, is there an answer, that you really have any interest in finding out why a resurrection is important, why people say he is risen. It 
It's only when you got some big questions and you got some big concerns and you know that there is really no answer on the horizon to help you out that maybe you start wondering, God, where are you at in all this? And just as they wondered it, he showed up. But here's the thing. I don't think we always see God when he shows up. Matter of fact, I think many times he shows up, either in other people, either in little signs along the way, circumstances, even in our pain. God's right there. But sometimes we just look at things from a human point of view, don't we? We can't really wrap our minds around the fact that there is an unseen being that calls himself Jesus, that tracks with us, and is looking for opportunities to speak to us. And if you're searching, he's listening. If you're not searching today, he's still listening, but he's waiting for an opportunity for you to start asking questions. And when you do, he'll be there. He shows up in this conversation and they tell him what's on their mind and how it's really getting them down. And then he says, you guys don't, don't know anything. And he wasn't saying that to put him down. He's just saying, there's a whole other way of looking at this. And he starts with the place I think any of us need to start. And that's with our Bibles. He just says, let's, let's, let's see what the Bible says. And he begins to explain to them what just happened back there for three years and why it ended so badly. And he said basically, you guys came because you wanted somebody who would deliver you from all of your suffering. But what you don't understand is the person who, deliver, who, who is here to deliver you delivered you through suffering. And they're like, we can't wrap our mind around that. What kind of a God suffers? And if you've ever suffered, maybe you've asked the question, God, you would have no idea what I'm going through. And maybe God's saying, uh, yeah, I do. I've been through probably worse. You ever notice when you're suffering that the only people you want to listen to really are the other people that have gone through the same thing? That's why our God is so awesome. That's why we celebrate so much. And as these two are suffering in their own uncertainty, Jesus is beginning to inject hope into their lives. And at first, it's like God works in all of our lives. At first, we're not even aware of it. We're kind of hearing it, but we're not really hearing it. And people that communicate will tell you, you, you probably won't hear anything until you hear it seven times. And since it was a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, probably seven times he said the same thing over and over, and it was starting to click in their mind. It was starting to sort of become clear in front and center. And the scripture tells us that conversation was getting ready to end because Jesus was getting ready to go that way and they were getting ready to go that way. And as they saw him parting the way, they said, you know what? It's getting late. Why don't you come and stay with us? And so they invited him in. And when they invited him in, he did something that only God does. And the scripture says that Jesus actually became their host. He actually provided the meal for them and he gave them some bread and they took it and they ate it. And the scripture says... When they ate of the food, 
Their eyes were opened. You ever heard that story before? Noise stories in the garden where people ate food and their eyes were opened, only to find out that they were opened in such a way they couldn't handle it to the point where they would kill each other. They were so knowledge rich and morally uncapable that at best they would destroy each other. And these guys had been living in that for so long, they're like, yeah, we've got lots of knowledge, but it seems like we're not very good at loving each other. And Jesus said, it is time to hit the reset button. Because this meal is just reversing everything that happened in the garden. When their eyes were open, it was Jesus' way of saying, since that time when that reptile confused that girl and then her husband fell into that same confusion alongside her. Since that time I've been wanting to do this. I've been wanting to just begin to help you to learn to eat the right food again. They ate the bread and the scripture says their eyes were opened. They saw Jesus. Now, here's the only thing I want you, to, want you to consider. How is it that you spend three years with Jesus, and then he goes through all that, and then you walk on the road for seven miles with the same guy, and you're not even aware that it's him? How, how does that happen? You know how I think it happens? One word, doubt. Doubt says, I refuse to see it. I don't want to see it. Or maybe I can't see it. And I think a lot of people can't see God. Because there's one word getting in the way. And it's doubt. And maybe you're so comfortable in the familiarity of your doubt. That to trust. Ah, that's a hard one. That's a tough one. You got to prove to me that you're trustworthy. And Jesus was beginning to show a side of God that they didn't really comprehend until they broke the bread. And God opened their eyes because their doubt was converted to faith. And they saw not through the eyes of just the human plane like you and I do. You know, we get up in the morning, we worry, we wonder, we think the worst. But faith says, no, God is in control. But he's not going to override your life. You've got to invite him in. And help you along the way. And you've got to trust him. You've got to believe that he does what he says he can do. You've got to believe that that tomb is empty. You've got to believe that Jesus is now reigning on the throne. You've got to believe that he, he is in control of these things. You've got to believe, though, that he's not going to come in and make you believe in him. But he's going to do everything that he can to woo you into his, into his way through his love. And I wonder... Has he been wooing you? Because I believe that if he's not in your life, he's constantly looking for an opportunity. Not to trick you. Not to put some kind of boat horn underneath your seat so that you'll be hugely embarrassed. Not to give you caramel apples that are onions. But to give you what you were supposed to have in the first place. 
the gift of himself. You see, God's hospitality is really the whole design here. I, I read in the book of Luke, I'll just say this, the nerd in me, I read all of the charges against Jesus, and he, he violated a lot of things in the temple. He kind of broke a lot of rules. But they were man rules. They weren't God rules. Their rules actually designed to keep you out rather than bring you in. And when he violated those rules, he was saying something. You've, you've followed religion, and all it's done is put a burden on you. And the bottom line is, no matter what that guy told you in the garden, it's not really so much about information, although knowledge of the cross and knowledge of the empty tomb are critical, but it's really about, it's about who you know. You know, my dad said whenever I was going to college, Leonard, whatever you do, do not go to school and become an educated idiot. And I said, I, I will try. I don't know if I did a good job or not, but he also coupled that with another line of thinking, and he said, even though you get trained in something, the bottom line in, li- in, the bottom line in life is, it is not what you know so much as who you know. And when Jesus revealed himself, he was saying, I'm not telling you to learn a whole bunch of information. I'm telling you that I want to be in a relationship with you where you trust me. When you start trusting me, you start looking at life through the eyes of faith. You start seeing me. Now probably some of you are married in here or been married and you, you know that loved one that you first set eyes on that became your spouse and at first you're like, oh yeah, I'm being reeled in by this person. Well, what you discovered is as appealing as they were in that moment, you find out six months, a year, five years later, they're not exactly like they were then. And I hope that's a good thing. Because with God, it's sort of the same way. God says, once you get to know me, you'll actually see Things about me that you never saw before. Because it's not so much what you know, but who you know. Here's the end of the sermon. Jesus just disappeared after that. Because he made the connection. And he said, I'll be back in my spirit. Don't you worry. And I'll be with you always. Here's my concern as I end the sermon. Have you been listening to that guy in the garden? Because he's going to tell you stuff that may be true, but it probably won't go well for you because the purpose is wrong. But there's another guy from another garden of Gethsemane who said the only way is to just follow the Father and be obedient. And then it all works out for good. And the reason why we're here is because God worked it all together for good, even death. And whatever's going on in your life, if he can do that for him, he can do much more for you. The real gap is, how close is he to your life? Do you know him or just know about him? And we'd like to help you know him.